Section 4 of The National Geographic Magazine, Volume 7, February 1896. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Avai in January 2016. The Present State of the Nicaragua Canal by General A. W. Greeley chief signal officer united states army the economic physical political and strategic advantages of the nicaragua canal have been so fully dwelt upon that their presentation here is not called for especially in view of the forthcoming report to congress of the national commission on this interoceanic waterway this article is viewed as supplementary to the articles on the Panama Canal route and the Tehuantepec ship railway, in order that the readers of the National Geographic magazine may know the amount of work done on the Nicaragua Canal to date, its possible cost as given by the corporation engineers, and also as estimated by the National Commission, which latter forecast by the press is subject to correction. The following summary covers the main features of the work. The concession for the canal was granted by Nicaragua to the Maritime Canal Company of Nicaragua, incorporated under Act of Congress, February 20, 1889, which company reports annually to the Secretary of the Interior. Statements relative to work done are drawn from its report of December 3, 1892. This corporation contracted with the Nicaragua Construction Company for the construction of the canal. In the spring of 1889, detailed surveys of canal, locks, harbors, etc. were completed, the final location of the route was practically determined, and, after preliminary operations, the work of actual construction began October 9, 1889. To restore Greytown Harbor, a breakwater extending 1,000 feet into the ocean was built and filled in with brush mattresses, rock and hydraulic cement concrete. A channel of 10 feet formed naturally, which was increased by dredging to 15 feet, and thus maintained until the accretions to the beach on the windward side of the jetty reached its outward extremity, when the sand passed to leeward and partially closed the new entrance. Five groups of permanent buildings were erected near San Juan, including offices, hospitals, storehouses, etc., which covered an area of 1.75 acres. In addition, freight wharves, machine stops, etc., were built, and the more important establishments were connected by tramway. A clearing 468 feet wide was made through the dense forest growth from Greytown inland a distance of 10 miles, and a similar clearing of 9 miles was made to the west of Lake Nicaragua. A telegraph line of 60 miles extended inland to Castillo, and this system was supplemented by telephonic side service. A harbour wharf 260 feet long was built and equipped with modern steam conveniences for handling freight. A railway was constructed from Greytown a distance of 12 miles, with sidings, and was equipped with four locomotives, 50 cars, and suitable modern apparatus for railway and canal construction. 
The road built is of the most difficult character, as it traverses for six miles a swamp considered impassable, where a large amount of corduroy and fillwork was required. The railway line was surveyed to Ochoa and its location determined, as well as from Lake Nicaragua to the Pacific. The contractors secured for their work the plant of the American Dredging Company, formerly used at Panama, consisting of seven powerful dredges, two tugs, twenty lighters, pumps, etc. Dredging commenced west of Greytown Harbor in 1890, and there was opened to a point well inland, one and a half miles, a channel seventeen feet deep and from one hundred fifty to two hundred thirty feet wide. The Machuca Rapids, San Juan River, were materially improved for steamboat navigation. In addition to this, exhaustive surveys and borings were made in connection with the Ochoa Dam, La Flor Dam, and other important points on the route. The superior employees were American, while the unskilled labor was performed by natives of Central America and by Jamaica Negroes. The health of the employees has been unusually good, the total deaths in three years giving a rate of 1.48% of cases treated. On November 9, 1890, the Nicaraguan government officially declared that the company had complied with the article requiring an expenditure of $2 million during the first year of work, thus confirming for a term of 10 years the company's concessionary rights. The financial troubles of 1893 first compelled the Nicaragua Canal Construction Company, under contract to build the canal, to limit its expenditures to the preservation of its plant and finally to suspend all payments, which resulted in a receiver being appointed by a United States court in August 1893. The reconstruction of the contracting company has been accomplished, under the name of the Nicaragua Company, and it is now making preparations for resuming work on the canal. Meanwhile, the United States Senate, in connection with bills for aiding the construction of this canal, has carefully considered the whole subject, including the operations of the corporations mentioned above. Three favorable reports have been made. Two by Mr. Sherman, number 1944, 51st Congress, Second Session, and number 1142, 51st Congress, Second Session. The last by Mr. Morgan, number 331, 52nd Congress, Second Session, on April 14, 1894, adopts and reprints the first two reports. It appears that the Maritime Canal Company expended between October 5, 1889 and October 7, 1890, $3,099,971, and that the total expenditures of the construction company aggregate $4,451,568. The total length of the canal is to be 169.45 miles, of which 26.78 miles will be excavated canal and 142.67 free navigation, and there will be three locks on each side of Lake Nicaragua. The cost of the canal, equipped for full service and extending to deep water in both oceans through completed harbors, was estimated by Chief Engineer A. G. Menocal at $65,084,176, including 25% for contingencies.
These estimates were increased by a revisionary board of five distinguished engineers, J. Bogart, E. T. D. Myers, A. M. Wellington, H. A. Hitchcock, and C. T. Harvey, to $73,166,308, which amount to other special contingencies augmented to $87,799,570. Interest charges would raise the grant total to $100 million. The Senate Committee states, however, that all work done has fallen within Mr. Menocal's estimates. The reports dwell upon the value of this interoceanic waterway to the United States, strategically, politically, and also economically. The committee placed the outside limit of the cost of the Nicaragua Canal at $100 million, and it therefore recommended that the United States guarantee $70 million of 3% bonds, which would vest the United States with the ownership of 70% of the entire capital stock. The final outcome of this report was the authorization by Congress of the appointment of a commission of engineers to examine and report upon the route and surveys of the Nicaragua Canal. This commission, consisting of Colonel W. P. Ludlow, U.S. Army, M. T. Endicott, U.S. Navy, and Alfred Noble, in the summer of 1895, examined the route and such of the work as had been done, and submitted its report to the President, by whom it will be transmitted to the present Congress. The character and substance of the report have not been officially made public. The New York Herald of November 25, 1895, put forth detailed accounts of the report, which lack official confirmation. The salient features of this article set forth that the Commission has increased the Canal Company's estimate of $69,893,660 to a provisional estimate of $133,472,893. Authoritative estimates can be obtained only at the cost of $250,000 for an exhaustive survey covering two dry seasons. The present location from Greytown to Brito is practically condemned, and it is suggested that the entrance to Greytown Harbor should be moved eastward and its depth increased to six fathoms that the Brito Harbor should be moved southeastward and its breakwater extended considerably, and that the canal should be moved south of Bernard Lagoon and be straightened, etc. The proposed rock-filled dam at Ochoa, across a powerful river and on a sand foundation, presents grave difficulties and should be built only after careful study. It should preferably be replaced by a masonry structure. The physical conditions and regimen of San Juan River and Lake Nicaragua should be carefully studied. The proposed channel excavated to widths varying from 250 to 400 feet instead of from 125 to 150 feet. All locks should be widened to 80 feet so as to permit the passage of war vessels. Rainfall observations should be instituted over the whole route. All streams be gauged and full explorations of alternative routes be made in the Eastern Division. These recommendations of the Commission for a deeper and wider channel, for the construction of passing points, a reduction in lock lift, more capacious and deeper harbours, and a more stable construction, 
are in the direction of desirable improvements, which, however, practically double the cost of the canal. Even should these enhanced estimates be correct, and should the conservative judgment of the Commission be fully endorsed by other engineers, it remains to be seen whether a few millions of dollars, more or less, shall stand in the way of securing an interoceanic communication which the Senate Committee has said, quote, is indispensable to our physical and political geography and to the proper care of the government for the protection and prosperity of our Pacific coasts. End quote. In view of the national interest taken in this question, and especially at this juncture, it would seem that no backward step should be taken that would tend to weaken the power and influence of the United States as the dominating factor in the welfare of the American continents. From an American standpoint, this canal seems to be a necessity, not only for our own commercial interests and national protection, but also as part of our public policy of uniting the republics of America by works of peaceful development. End of section 4